What is good, peeps? Welcome to an indefatigable artist. Just wake and be. I am your host, Bleas, just a human being a multimedia artist in the 21st century. Just a friendly reminder that it's free to support. A like, comment, or a share goes a long way. You can always check out more at bleese.com and sign up to the free newsletter. Softcover novels, audiobooks, and ebooks are available there as well. Thank you. What is good, peeps? In today's episode, I'll be answering three questions I have been asked most often since publishing the first novel in 2019. Hard to believe it's almost been four years. Time is relative to one's state of mind. I think I can safely say the past three years have been a bit crazy, to say the least. But we are still here, and it is up to us to find out why. My current why is this very podcast. So let's jump in and go further. The first question, and most common among the three, is what does bliss mean? Bliss, noun, potential energy stored inside the chemical makeup of every living creature in the universe that, once recognized and harnessed, can be kinetically unleashed through passionately positive creative acts that do not directly or indirectly harm others. Writing, photography, painting, directing, acting, designing, cooking, or being a flaneur. Example, after the boy learned to harness his bliss, he was able to unleash it through writing. Wink, wink. (laughs) That's the definition I came up with. Took me a while, and I really came up with that definition after I wrote the first book. Um, After I got all the way through it, and I was like, okay, I know I I was going to get this question of like, what does please? Because obviously it's something I made up. So, um, figured I had to have something that I could come back on and uh, this was what I came up with. Um, It's still something that is fantastical and you know maybe not written as a real definition yet you would see in you know the Webster's Dictionary but um, I think it uh, it holds true and is at the essence of what Bleece is and um is that feeling, it's that feeling uh, after you work on a project for so long and it's the only thing you're thinking of, that feeling when you complete it. And um, it's before you start thinking, will other people like it? It's like you believed in it and you thought of this, whatever it is, whatever it is. Like I say in the definition, it's writing, it's photography, painting, directing, it's 
anything you creatively work on. It's turning that potential energy, which I see as the thought, into kinetic energy, which is action, taking action. So you have this potential energy of this thought, and it could be a recipe, cooking, being a flaneur is uh, walking down the street. I mean, that's a flaneur and um, street acting. I love street acting. I love seeing it. It's just so raw and very personal. I've seen a few, and it's there was one in Wynwood that really struck me, and uh, it was at a time when I was going down to Wynwood all the time, and like this word of flaneur, um, and the concept of uh, being a flaneur, um, really struck me, and there was like this essence that you capture and I feel like great directors you know really spend time in the environment that they're going to shoot that they have a different understanding uh, of the location that they're shooting at um, and I think a way to do that is being a flinner is just wandering you know kind of aimlessly but knowing why you're at that location so that's the definition and along with this definition, I knew I had to um, define time. And I put both the definition and this definition of time at the beginning of the second book. As um, I just wanted everyone to be on the same page. And my thought process of the first book um, I just wanted people to really escape from that first page, you know, that first poem. Uh, I really wanted them to be off in this other planet. And so I felt like any text I had before that first poem uh, would eliminate that. Like, I really wanted them from that first page to be swept away off in this free-floating planet. Um but also realizing that, you know, it could be confusing because I make all of these references through the book because I just, and all these words that I make up and the time concept is different because on the free-floating planet of consumption, time is in reference to the fact that it's floating through the X, Y, and Z planes in space. So years are XYZ, and they're referenced as such, like someone is 7XYZ old, that means they're 7 years old, days are XY, hours are X, minutes Y, seconds XX, like I'll be there in a split XX, and uh, yeah, had to even change like a lot of the word, you know, of different phrases, and uh, I kind of changed some some phrases up to incorporate these uh, different references like XYZ and, you know, XY, which uh, really leads into this second most common question that I get. Where did you get the idea for Bleece? That is a night I will always remember. Reality, what is it? Living in dreams, what is in between? I can still remember that dream in the middle of the night back in 2009. 
I woke up sweating profusely and breathing heavy. At the time, I kept a little yellow notepad next to my bed so that I could write down any dreams I remembered. This night, it was a word. Lease came to me from some other worldly place, like it was transmitted to me from another dimension. Truly, um, I just, I still have that piece of paper. I still have that yellow notepad of where I um, wrote, first wrote that, first wrote police down, uh, the little yellow notepad and those sheets um, where I was writing some of my first poems. Uh, and some of those made it into the book uh, that, that I kept. So, yeah. And that's why I stress so much to other artists, whether you're a writer or not, any creative, the importance of sleep. And it's something I've really gone on tangents about of uh, this culture of team no sleep and, you know, having falling victim to that uh, mindset of thinking like sleep was a bad thing. Uh, going through, you know, periods of my life of truly having terrible, terrible sleep uh, in college while working full-time, going to school. Uh, yeah, sleep went on the back burner there. And uh, yeah, it's uh, looking back pretty crazy of the lack of sleep and like how much more productive I could have been and like, crisper I could have been in different areas of my life, mentally crisper, uh, and been more productive and more, more present. Um, but appreciating sleep later on and seeing the benefits of it, you know, especially as a creative, you know, as we're living this life and experiencing life in our environment consciously, there's this other layer to us that's really experiencing all this as well. And it needs time to be at the forefront, um, I guess, you know, turn that conscious off and like turn that other part of your brain on, I think is just so vital. And why I love writing down my dreams, you know, first thing in the morning when I wake up, I usually, you know, go to my phone's notepad and I'll just jot down you know, whatever I can remember, or just how I'm feeling, you know, sometimes it's not remembering the dream. Um, and uh, there's, there's other moments too, that I've had, you know, now that I am very conscious of writing down dreams, where sometimes I'll know that I'm dreaming. And it, I guess it's like tantamount to like lucid dreaming. Um, it's like, consciously trying to stick with it for as long as you can I guess and what's crazy about these dreams is they really are like fractions of a second like they happen so fast you know relatively to our conscious time uh, in reality here in the dream state it could be a fraction of a second it could be a second long and it's like wow that whole scene took place that long so I guess when you're lucid dreaming like that, you know, holding it, you don't have to, you know, hold it very long. Um, but uh, there there are definite times where I'm like, I know I am dreaming. And uh, it's a pretty cool state to be in. Um, you're just like, your body's like just floating there. So 
I really like it. And I just, you know, try to pass it along because I too did fall victim to it. Like I said, of this team, no sleep. And I still see people, you know, echoing that and saying that. And it's like, okay, you have to realize the importance of sleep. You have to realize that you will be more productive if you get a right amount of sleep. Uh, everyone's different of what right amount means, but you know, six to eight hours, you know, some people do need more time uh, to sleep, to rest their body. It's, you know, it's a physical thing. It's a mental, uh, it's just so, so, so important. I just cannot stress it enough. And I feel like I have to, to combat some of this uh, rhetoric of team no sleep. So yeah, I will be the advocate. So yes, fleece, the noun, all the poems I've been writing were starting to take shape of characters and scenes. And so I'm writing on this yellow notepad and just poem after poem and then seeing, you know, this pattern after reaching a certain number of poems and like, oh, okay, this is starting to become a character here. This is another character here. You know, we've got Breezy, uh, which came from roommate bruno shout out bruno um i had made cornbread a few times and so he started calling me cornbread and cornbread turned into breezy and uh i used that name for this character that was coming through in uh, a lot of my poetry you know he's breezy he's going further he's you know on this other planet he doesn't get taken down by you know little slights he rises above um, pettiness, uh, and doesn't fall victim to, you know, faults. He embraces his vulnerability. And then there's the, the anger side of me. Um, and that's the thing, or what I stress to people is like, these characters are all aspects of me. You know, a lot of people who have, who know me and have read it, they're like, oh, you're Orby. I am yes I am and I'm very much all of these characters uh, which may you know <laughs> then maybe scare some some uh, family members and friends that know me like oh you're all of that too is you you're Skriller oh okay so Skriller and um <clears throat> yeah Skriller's a a bad bad character um and with Bleece I did want to uh cross some barriers there I did want to cross some lines and purposely so and even you know to the point where it's crossing my own line and I'm like whoa whoa <laughs> where like <clears throat> am I comfortable writing this and uh I have to take a step back and it's like it's like separating yourself as an actor would from their character you know it's this role and as I wrote this you know it took 11 years and as i would write it and do a rewrite get getting deeper and more connected with these characters and doing this like interview process that i've uh learned from story uh by robert mckee of asking different questions um provocative questions of these characters getting to know them more on a deeper level where I could close my eyes and just start writing on the keyboard and let the character do the writing and impeding as little as possible. So if it was Skriller's scene, 
allowing that to come through. And even if it's shocking to me, it's like, okay, this isn't coming from me. It's supposed to be shocking to me because this isn't me. This is Skriller. You know, this is that bad character. This, he doesn't have morals. And one thing I've seen, and it's, you know, it's very, very hard <clears throat> to not personalize these characters because they are ultimately coming from a person. But I really wanted to get to a point where these characters are alien to us, that they do act in a different way than what we see people act. Because I feel like we project a lot on these characters as we write them in science fiction of giving them human characteristics even though they're supposed to be from another planet and it's like why would they have those characteristics if they are truly on another planet we have to go further we have to go further and approach this as a different character would and i i tried to do that the best way i could with um, each of these characters so this story takes place on a free-floating planet that runs into other planets Leading up to this dream, I had become I had become obsessed with learning, which was something rather new. In high school, I had rebelled against school and had no intention of going to college. But the more I started to read, and the more words I started to study, and study I did, I uh, was pulling out the dictionary and just flipping through it, randomly stopping on words, coming across a word, going then to the thesaurus, finding other words like that, or when I'm reading, coming across a word I don't know, writing it down, looking it up, studying it. Um, I still do that. I, I can't read a book without writing something down. Um, and that's why sometimes it takes me longer to, to read a book because when I'm reading a book, it's hard to separate myself, you know, of student. <laughs> and so, you know, even a phrase, you know, it's like, I'll write down if I really like how they phrase something or kind of perspective that they give. It's hard not to stop and, uh, appreciate it and really study that phrasing and like how, they set it up right of like everything around it could be a, even a plot point. It's like, Oh wow. Even if it's um a book I'm reading where I know what's going to happen already, it's whether it's rereading a book or reading a book that was made into a movie already. And I'd seen the movie as I'm doing right now, again with uh, green mile, um, as I've referenced here, uh, that's where some of the inspiration for writing this next book has come from, of writing it kind of in segments, um, weekly or periodical. Uh, and he, in turn, was inspired by Charles Dickens, who used to do that with uh, his books coming out periodically um, in newspaper print. So this has a long storied history of writing books in this way that was interesting and so I'm going back and just studying again you know I, I do read for leisure but it's still 
I can't, I can't separate myself. Like if I am reading, I am reading as a student and I am going to study this. I'm going to study different characters, character development, you know, all, all the nuances of writing. I just, I, I think it's just part of it. It's just part of reading for me at this, at this point, even watching a movie, but I'm not going to like pause a movie. Um, but sometimes I would, <laughs> uh, so I could write something down. Um, but that's usually after I've seen it once. So yeah, leading up to that dream of Bleece was really studying uh, a lot, getting back into reading. The year before, I had graduated from high school in 2008, ranking 82nd out of 88 students. I had to even take summer classes to receive my diploma. Now, what I must stress here is that all I was lacking was motivation and a willingness to apply myself. I don't remember doing any homework in high school at all. I wanted nothing to do with it. If someone told me to do something, even if it sounded fun or something I would actually like, I would rebel against it out of spite. Just because someone asked me to do it, I would just rebel against it. And after graduation, I learned how life can smack you right in the mouth. (laughs) After high school, I packed up my car and drove down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, renting a room for my uncle who had a house down there. My first job after applying to several was at a cemetery working in the hot Florida sun, doing over a thousand funerals in the year that I worked there. Most of the funerals were in Spanish or Haitian, so I didn't understand what they were even saying. But sadness and that stinging pain of loss transcends language. Some of the funerals were pretty hard to do especially the ones with the little casket. The one where a little boy had fallen into a pool and drowned, just three years old. That's one uh, that I'll never forget. As uh, It was one of the only ones that uh, I actually teared up at. Just uh, seeing the grief of the parents. Um, it only took uh, two of us to carry the casket and put it in the mausoleum. I was the one to uh, seal it up with caulk. Um, was the one that uh, pushed the casket in the hole, which in in the mausoleums uh, goes two bodies deep. Usually, uh, this one was put in one that uh, was on the front, so it was only one uh, body per hole. So, um, yeah, I pushed it in um, and then sealed it up. And, uh, yeah, that was the hardest one I've done. Um, I don't know why, but, uh, I pictured myself when I was three years old, like images that I've seen over the years, you know, that, uh, my grandma has taken and sent me and like, it was those images that were popping up in my head. Um, the house I was living in at the time had a pool. So I had dreams of myself at three years old falling into that pool. Um, 
But yeah, that uh, that white casket uh, still occupies my mind to this day. I wrote about some of these experiences in the book as Orby works at the cemetery um, in the beginning of the first book, Police. The story of uh, having to take a dead body out of the casket to be cremated so that her husband could then use the same casket was a real story. To my surprise at the time, this kind of arrangement happened all the time as funerals are that expensive and getting more expensive each and every year. It's the only property that goes up in value no matter what. Like the owner used to say, people are just dying to get in. Working at this job really put things into perspective about life in general, but also what my life could be like if I didn't have any drive to do more with myself. After a year, I got into some trouble at the cemetery, which again, I write about in the book. (laughs) And uh, I started to get frustrated with the lack of pay. Um, Plus, I was rebelling against the house rules my uncle had set for me. So once again, I packed up my car and left. This time, it was a little red 1989 Toyota Corolla, and I went to Atlanta, Georgia. First worked at a UPS store, and then at a Kroger, which is a popular grocery store in Atlanta, where I worked at the meat and seafood department. And I, to this day, can still smell the rotting fish. (laughs) And... Still cannot bring myself to eat scallops. (laughs) The stench when they would go bad is just so rancid. Oh, and they just feel so slimy. I just cannot bring myself to eat scallops. And I don't know if I could ever eat them. (laughs) And this is where I was working when I had the dream of Blease. It was after this dream that I wanted to go back to school as I'd become obsessed with learning. And now I had this driving force, Blease. I was going to learn how to bring this to life. So started looking around, realized I wanted to go back to Florida to pursue a degree. At the time, what had really piqued my interest was criminal psychology. I was really doing a deep dive of the minds of the most sinister people ever written about. It was really intriguing, and I felt like there was so much that we could learn from them. I never did believe in the death penalty, and now research shows that the death penalty really isn't a deterrent, as many believed it was, in regards to crime. I feel there's something to be learned from each and every single person on this planet. No matter how heinous the crime, I still feel like there's something to be learned, so that maybe we can change something about our environment, which is something I address again in the books. And when someone does something heinous, people in their emotional state want that person killed. But is killing them going to bring back those he killed? Is it really going to make you feel better that he's dead or would you rather learn from them? Continue to interview, learn more about his behavior, why he chose to do that act. So hopefully we can make a change to our environment so that this thing doesn't happen again. So after deciding to go back 
to school in Florida, I once again packed up my car, drove back down to Florida, and enrolled at Broward College, where I earned my associate's degree in psychology. I then transferred to Florida Atlantic University, where I first thought about going for my bachelor's in psychology, but didn't like how uh, scientific the classes were. I was more into psychology for the writing and the reading. Um, So I did some self-reflecting and realized why I was so into psychology in the first place. It was to become a better writer. Why? So that could best bring bliss to fruition, to life. It was a great resource for writing material and a tool for analyzing the world and people around me. So in realizing this, I decided to change my major to multimedia film and video as this went to the heart of why I went to school in the first place to follow my lease. As is still the case to this day, I want to take these books, these novels and make animated films out of them. Currently in the process of um, using AI to bring these characters to life, which has been a really fun experience, you know, again, writing characters so that a computer can understand what they look like and really working through that process of getting there of like how I see these characters. I've drawn them, but I'm not a great drawer. So these tools now that we now have with AI um, has been really profound for me. Um, as a creator, and uh, I can't wait to share more about that. Um, but that's just a little teaser that I'm just throwing in there. So in changing my major here, I wanted to bring these characters I started writing all the way back in 2009, after that profound dream, to life. Come on in, let's all see, gather around, Let's all breathe. This theme of relentlessly pursuing bliss would continue for the next 11 years as I wrote the first two novels and graduated from FAU in 2016. Yeah, it was 2016. Um, Yeah, it it took me three years. Uh, to get my bachelor's as I was working full-time. Started in 2013. Um, But yeah, 2016 is when I graduated. And in that 11 years, every character of Blees, like I said earlier, is a part of me. They have a life of their own, and I felt it's my job as a creator to respect them of their individuality. And I feel like the inspiration that comes from dreams would be the rawest, most unique parts of the story. Moments when a situation in the story would happen and I would get writer's block as to what would happen next. Sometimes I would go in one direction then have the situation literally come into my dreams. Seeing the scene take place, see these characters interacting in my dreams. I mean, (laughs) it's when I knew like that, that it was something beyond just myself as an individual. Um, and then just another reason why I became so attached to these characters. Um, I won't give any spoilers out here, but 
you know, writing the death of characters, I I really cried. I really cried at the end of uh, Bleas Paradox when that came to an end. Um, it was uh, very heartbreaking for me um, to let go of these characters in that way. Um, and yeah, that's um, all I'll say. So yeah. Um, and it's because like they were not only a part of my conscious waking self occupying my thoughts throughout the day but they were in my dreams as well surpass normality living in our own universe in a foreign being's eye we may not be fit the third question that i am asked a lot what is bliss about such a hard question to answer and one I tried to answer, did my best trying to answer when writing the two-sentence summaries. The hardest two sentences I had to write for either novel. On the free-floating planet of Consumptia, where the currency is flesh and everyone is high on Zerk, Orby is at the breaking point. Will he succumb to the madness around him or rise above his environment to follow his Bleece. Bleece and Bleece Paradox are the first two novels in this ongoing series, A Bleeceful Journey. The planet of Consumptia continues to free float through space, running into other planets. Paradox ends with eternally reaching out, finally reaching someone on the planet of Cocombia, the next planet that will crash into the planet of Consumptia. But this podcast and this third book is me stepping out of that world to focus on the character that is the author, R. Lanham. What his life was like before writing the novels, during the writing process, and after until his ultimate untimely death in December 2020 at just 30 years old. I killed him. I had to kill him in order to grow, in order to go further. He was holding me back in so many ways that his life was no longer suitable for this planet, for this reality. His flaws were too prevalent, were not only affecting myself, my true self, but others around him. I wanted to give some perspective to his life experience that hasn't been told to anyone in hopes that others can relate and be inspired to express themselves before it's too late. I will dive deeper into the flaws in the coming episodes so you will see where I am coming from in my justified homicide of this poor boy's life. I had to continue the best way I could through this fickle, tormenting gift of life to have a chance against that wicked, matridian beast, Skriller. This is my bliss, exposed for the first time. I hope it's ready. Are you?
Thank you for listening. Be sure to like and comment. It's free to support. A like and a share goes a long way. Softcover novels, audiobooks, and ebooks available at Bleast.com. Let's go further together, one step at a time. See you next week.